Another day Another dollar Makes you wonder where your money went Hi folks, this is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't, dictated is almost always the case for my personal mobile studio. Uh, my 2006 Jetta Diesel TDI as I make my 50-mile commute between Arlington and Frisco, Texas. Today is Monday, March the 30th, 2009, and we are on show 168, I think. I'm not really sure. It's hard for me to keep track of the edition uh, numbers anymore, but if you've downloaded today's show, that information was included with your download, so you know the edition even if Jack does not. Um, I want to go ahead and knock out my house cleaning again really quick today. Uh, I just found out the faster I do it, the more it seems to be appreciated, and doing it in the beginning, I don't screw up and leave it out of the end. So, house cleaning. Uh, if you get more than a quarter's value out of every episode of the Survival Podcast, consider joining the Member Support Brigade. By joining the Member Support Brigade for $5 a month or $50 a year, your choice, uh, you will be able to uh, help support the work we do here at the Survival Podcast and gain access to exclusive members-only content, mostly in the form of video, along with zip files of every episode of the Survival Podcast ever recorded, going all the way back to episode one. And I'll just warn you that some of the very first shows have some of the crappiest audio you've ever heard, but it seemed like the initial people that started listening to the show cared more about the information than the audio. Uh, I will be at Dirt Time 09 by Wilderness Way in August of 2009, last week of the month. This is a week-long workshop event with some of the greatest uh, names in uh, mostly wilderness survival out there, people like Ron Hood uh, and others in the entire staff, I guess the, the editorial staff anyway of Wilderness Way magazine. Uh, if you haven't checked out Wilderness Way, they are not paying me to do this, but I would suggest you check out Wilderness Way magazine. It's an awesome publication, and um, I subscribed to it right after they asked me to show up, simply because I looked at it and went, where's this been all my life? Um, next thing, uh, Region 5 is having our big bug out, cookout, camp out down in uh, the Goldthwaite area of Texas. Full details on the forum link from the show notes. Uh, this is just a weekend-long fun get-together having a good time with uh, fellow listeners of the show and just hanging out in a uh, in a place where we can throw some lead down range and, and shoot the bull and have some good barbecue. You are welcome to come no matter whether you're part of Region 5 or not. It just happens to be a Region 5 event because it's happening in the Region 5 area. And that really wraps up our house cleaning and it did it in under two and a half minutes this time. So I did a lot of work this weekend outside in the garden actually lost a few tomato plants because we had a frost, and I was able to cover them, but because we weren't really planning for needing to cover as many plants as we had to, um, we lost a couple simply due to uh, breaking the center vine and just decided it was uh, a better idea to uh, just replace them than try to train what was left of them. We didn't really lose anything to the frost itself, uh, but that's a uh, that's a lesson for folks. You know, we, uh, we planted some stuff before our average last frost date here, which is March 15th. 
and it made it. Made it right past the last frost date. And uh, we were we thought we you know we snuck some stuff under the radar, and, and I, we did lose a few. Uh, we did a little square foot plot, and in that we did lose some beans uh, that weren't really dead, but they were just kind of sick enough looking at it side. It was easier to replant them. I guess my point is, you know, when you're when you're gardening, don't think uh, don't think just because your average lost frost date has come that you're going to be necessarily safe. Uh, Mother Nature threw us a curveball as she often will. And as I worked all week and uh, ate up a lot of time, I did manage to edit the three videos uh, on becoming a better rifleman. So those will be available in the member support brigade area uh, later today. Um, and as I, if I did all this work this weekend, I didn't do a lot of research. And I woke up this morning and I went, you know, what am I going to talk about today? And I decided that today uh, what I would do is I would talk about something that we've talked about in the past that I want to apply in a new way, and that is class warfare. So, yeah, it's going to be one of these political shows. Uh, but, you know, folks, never lose sight of half of the reason that we prepare is because of man's incompetence and or stupidity and or malice. The other half of the reason we prepare is because of Mother Nature's unpredictability. So, you know, there's things out there like solar storms, uh, you know, major uh, storms, uh, tornadoes, tsunamis, volcanoes, earthquakes, you name it. There's a million things that, you know, and even flu pandemic that nature can throw at us. And we have to prepare for those because nature deals them out and because man has a limited capacity to help his fellow man during these events. The people that stood on the rooftops during Katrina and waited for rescue. I'm sorry, those folks should have got out when they had the opportunity when it was still, you know, summertime, for lack of a better metaphor. Um, and even when we wanted to get those people out, we had this limited capacity. There wasn't malice there. What there was is some, it was a massive amount of incompetence and a tremendous amount of exceeding the capacity of what was available. So that's one half of the equation. Well, the other half of the equation, folks, is, well, a global economic collapse isn't a natural disaster. It isn't a natural occurrence. Uh, moving the United States into a socialist bureaucracy that eventually bankrupts the nation, not a natural disaster. So when we lost half of our income or half of our retirement accounts in uh, the, uh, the fall of last year, and you lost it if you didn't listen to me, because I told you. I flat out said, get your money out of the stock market. I didn't say, pull it out of your 401k like some of you guys. Somehow, How do I get my money out of your 401k? Put it in cash. Leave it in your 401k. Put it in a money market account. Put it in a safe bond. Put it somewhere out of the market. Get it out of the volatility Then the market came. That was not a natural occurrence. It was not a natural disaster. All these financial advisors that are out there spewing the pablum that they're taught in their, you know, their, their two months of training, which is more sales training and relationship building training than how to invest, these guys are out there saying, well, the market naturally ebbs and flows. Yeah, sure it does. But it doesn't drop naturally by 60% in value over three or four months. That's not natural. These are all things that happened because of the way that people in, in power behaved. And it all happens because, frankly, we around the world, and especially us in America, are so misdirected by worrying about things that just either don't matter, or even if they do matter, they're not that important, 
that the clowns in charge stay in charge. And they stay in charge out of fear. And we've got to wake up. And what made me decide to do this is we're having, on the 15th of April, people all over the United States uniting in these tea parties. And there's one right here in Arlington. And if you're anywhere near Arlington and you're looking for one to go to, come to this one because I'm going to be there. My wife's contacting the organizers this week. And we're going to see if maybe I can even get a little bit of an opportunity to speak uh, in front of whoever shows up while we're there. But... My fear is that most of these people that are going to these tea parties are typical conservatives. Now, do I have a problem with typical conservatives? Absolutely not. But if it's only one side of the equation, folks, if it's only Republicans, I hate to use these labels, conservative, liberal, Republican, Democrat, because they're meaningless anymore in America. But if they're only people that would classify themselves as a conservative or a Republican that are part of this movement, the movement is doomed to failure. All the movement might do is swing the balance of power back to the Republican Party. And to me, that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't mean a damn thing. And some of you that are big proponents of the Second Amendment out there are going, Jack, well, at least at least they wouldn't take our guns. Well, the reason they're not taking your guns right now has less to do with Republicans and more to do with Democrats. You've had Nancy Pelosi say, I will not allow the assault weapons bill to the floor of the House for a vote as a speaker. There's a last person who's a gun owner's friend, but at least she's on the right side of that issue. Harry Reid in the Senate basically doing the same thing. And 65 Democratic members of the House of Representatives saying, if this bill does come to the floor, I will vote against it. 65 members that are Democrats. You know, open up your NRA publication around voting time. Go back, find one of the past issues. See how many Democrats have A ratings. There's a lot less than Republicans. I'm not saying there's no difference at all. But look at the reality of the individual. If these movements are going to matter, we're going to have to start uniting behind principles and fundamentals instead of ideology. And what I mean by that is, it, to me, at least to me, and I think to the average American, if, you, if they sit down and they understand this, and, and, it makes, and you, you take the time to make it make sense to yourself, following the Constitution, which is the foundational law of the land, is not a Democrat or Republican ideology. It is not a conservative or a liberal ideology. If you are a liberal, then you'd be a liberal within the confines of the Constitution of the United States and the foundational law of the fabric of our nation. If you're a conservative, you do the same thing. And don't think that we haven't had conservatives, Republicans, stray away from the Constitution as well. George Bush did it. George Bush definitely did it. Every president, frankly, going back to about Andrew Jackson, did it to one degree or another. George Washington, in reality, strayed from the Constitution when he felt that he had to. These things need to be placed in check the second that they happen. And we won't do a history lesson. Someday I'll tell you about Washington straying from the Constitution. Last person that you would expect. But what we have to realize today 
So we're put into this constant spin by the media. And the reason this is so important is I love this Tea Party thing. I want to see this thing work. But you know what? It's a long damn time between now and the next election. Now in the midterms, it's a year and a half, a little bit more than that away. So a lot of things that can happen. And my my concern is that what is driving people in these tea parties is anger. Anger is a good start. But anger, if you do not apply additional logic and education to it, fades. And the guy that's angry because he lost his job when he finds a new job, is he going to be there a year from now? Will his compass guide him to stay the course that he started? Or will he just go at somebody, you know, uh, I'm working out. I don't, I don't really have time for this anymore. I got, you know, I got behind and now the economy's kind of improving and I, you know, is it still wrong to bail out Wall Street? Is it still wrong to bail out major corporations? Is it still wrong to spend two trillion dollars of the people's money and not tell us where it went? Is it still wrong to continue to inflate the monetary system so that we continually drive prices up and erode the value of savings so people have no choice but to put their money at risk? Is it still wrong? Is it still wrong to redistribute the wealth? Is it still wrong to raise taxes on a people that are already giving 40 to 60% of their income to their respective governments? Is it still wrong? And if the answer is, of course it's still wrong. But if anger is your only motivator, you will only be as active as your anger. When you're informed, when you're educated, when you use logic, then you will act because it's the right thing to do instead of acting in anger. Acting in anger is how Lenin took over the Soviet Union and killed all the people who knew what the hell they were doing to give power to the worker, power to the people, and set the country into oblivion and starvation because it was anger-based. And that's why he had to kill people. He had to kill people because it was anger. And he knew that the anger could only be maintained for a certain period of time. So he took the anger, he channeled it through the people, he used it to take the heads off of the people that would oppose him, and then the very people that he would enslave were the ones that gave him the power to enslave them because their anger was channeled to remove the only opposition that was available. That's what anger breeds. That is the last thing this country needs. And the only way we're going to get through this is we have got, we have absolutely got to get away from class warfare. We have got to let people pitting us, you're the poor man, you should be against the rich man. Really? Who employs you? Who pays your paycheck? Do you have any idea how expensive the average employee is to the average employer? Do you understand that for a second? Most people do not. Let me give you the typical cost of a, an employee that's making a very low wage in today's economy, $10 an hour. Now, back when I was a kid, I knew grown men that had been working the same job for 20 years. They made $10 an hour, and it was good money. It's about $400 a week. These people had new cars. They had houses. Some of them had paid for their houses during a, you know, paid their house off in 15 versus 30 years. And they weren't always making 400. They had worked their way up to $400 a week. It was a good wage. The wage has been eroded. Now, how has that happened? 
It's happened because of inflation. So, so the culprit and why that guy making $400 a week is not doing okay anymore isn't the employer. It's inflation that the employer has very little or nothing to do with. But you look at that and you get your check and it's $400. Now, of course, the government takes taxes out of it and uh, you're taxed pretty low if you make $400 a week. Maybe you take home $320 a week. So in your mind, your employer pays you $320 a week. Even the numbers you see. You don't understand that the guy's already paid you another 80 bucks you never saw. That's top line. Top line. You probably don't even make 320. Probably make about 300, 290, somewhere like that by the time they get done taxing you. You know, you're in a, you're in a decent tax bracket at that income. Now, what you don't see is on your your uh, your paycheck. It's a little thing. It's just Social Security, and it'll be about seven and a half percent. Okay. Which is, you know, out of four hundred dollars, what is it? About twenty-eight bucks. All right. So you look at the twenty-eight bucks and go, thirty bucks, thirty-two dollars, whatever it is. Thirty-two bucks is probably about right. Thirty-two dollars. You go, okay. Well, they took thirty-two dollars from me. They didn't take thirty-two dollars from you. They took sixty-four dollars from you. Where's the sixty-four come from? Because if I'm employing you, and I pay, and you pay thirty-two dollars of Social Security, all right. I pay an additional $32 in your Social Security, $64. In other words, roughly 15%. So let's, you know, $400, 15%, $15.60 bucks. So my math wasn't off by much in my head. 60 bucks goes into the Social Security fund for you every week. Six times four, $240. $240 to a $10 an hour employee goes there. My point is, my cost goes up 7.5% just to match your Social Security. Now, unless we're in like a three-man shop where I write paychecks every week on my own, i got to pay somebody to pay you. There's a cost there. Now, any state that I'm going to employ you as an employee is going to make me carry workers' compensation insurance and unemployment insurance on you, which the smaller my business is, the more expensive for an employee it is. So let's limit this to a business employing about 20 people. Then I have to pay for a facility. I have to pay for medical insurance for you. And uh, even if I'm giving you crappy medical insurance and making you pay a portion of it for yourself, I have found that a $10 an hour employee generally costs an employer somewhere between $18 and $24 an hour more than double the base rate by the time you get done paying them in fact the less you make the higher the adder that I have to pay the percentage actually goes down with a highly compensated employee who by the way if I'm paying him a high rate he's returning more to my business why does this all matter why is this important because government's telling you it's the rich man well, the government's the one that's taking 15% of your income and put it into Social Security. Then they say to the old people, the young workers tired of paying the bills for you. They don't understand the sacrifices you made. Well, but wait a minute, you're taking my 15%. So they tell the old that the young, the young greedy people are going to come take away your money. The greedy Republican young people are going to come take away your money that you work so hard for. Because they paid 15% too. Their employer paid half, they paid half. Years and years and years. And then no one asks the question, why are these people living on poverty in the first place? Where did all the money go? Why are the people today paying for the people from yesterday? Why aren't the people from yesterday reaping the returns of their own investment? Let's do a little bit of freaking basic conceptual uh, economic math here. We take an 18-year-old boy, goes to work, 
makes about a hundred makes enough money to put a hundred dollars a month away, twelve hundred dollars a year. And he does that from the time he's eighteen to the time he's twenty-eight. Ten years. Goes into good solid conservative investments that average between, you know, seven to nine percent. And does not touch the money, does not put another dime in, just puts it away, tax-deferred status, leaves it alone, doesn't touch it, 65, millionaire. Millionaire. But the government takes 15%, 5% more, that's a 50% increase, and then has our elderly living at the poverty level. Why? Because they take the money and they piss it away. They spend it on things that have absolutely nothing to do with Social Security. Your Social Security or the people that are there right now. There's no money in the Social Security Trust Fund. There's, a, there's an IOU from the government. We owe you $50 trillion by 2050. That's what's in there. A piece of paper, not really, but, but metaphorically, that's what's in there. We owe the United States people $50 trillion, signed the United States federal government. There is no money. Now, we how many people in this one little issue are involved in class warfare? We got the young and the old. You're paying for the old people. Your tax dollars are going to pay for them. They need to pay for themselves. That's one message. To the old people, the young people are coming to take away your money. To the worker, the rich man is getting richer while you get poorer and your Social Security is being eroded. To the rich man, the worker is draining you dry. You could build your business bigger. And who is the culprit? Federal government spending trillions of dollars that are supposed to be in the Social Security system for things that have nothing to do with Social Security. And trust me, Al Gore's lockbox was not going to solve the problem. Because we're running a deficit that must be funded. In other words, it's not an option right now the way we're running our government. It's just not an option. We don't have a choice. Well, we, do we have to take the money from there, or we have to cut spending somewhere else? Those, those two are, you know, inter, integrally locked with each other, and we have no other option. Because we're out of money. We're overspending. And this goes on and on and on. We tell the black man, you are a minority and you are still oppressed in America. Martin Luther's dream has not arrived, but we have a black man sitting in the White House. We tell the, the immigrant, the Mexican immigrant, that you should have Spanish in your schools. And then we turn around and we tell the, the, the American citizen they shouldn't have Spanish in the schools. That message is coming from the same place. They're coming from the same mouths. The same people are saying the same things. And why? Why? So that they can run our school systems into the ground. They'll run our school systems into the ground so they can drive down the intelligence level of the next generation so they can have greater control over them and exude another class warfare system against them when this one gets old and tired and worn out. And who suffers? The American citizen suffers. The, the American who speaks English suffers because the quality of their education is lowered. And the immigrant suffers too. When we teach our children no matter where they come from, 
how to pass an English test that's written in Spanish, we have robbed them, we have denied them. When we make it easy for someone that comes to this country to not learn English, we rob them of the opportunity that's truly here. Whether they're legal or illegal is irrelevant in that concept. You should not be pressing two for Spanish. If you can't speak English, you should be getting an interpreter. That will motivate you to learn English. And it worked for every other wave of immigrants that came to this country. There were tremendous amounts of immigrants that came here in the 1800s, the early 1900s, after World War II. There were an immense amount of Europeans that came here after World War II. Nobody even talks about them. Nobody even remembers. My father-in-law and his wife came here after World War II. They immediately started on a path to acquire citizenship. And they immediately stopped worrying about speaking Dutch. And they spoke whatever level of English they could, and they struggled with it, and they mastered the language, and they became very successful people in America. Because they understood the unifying language that gave them the opportunities that are available. Today, today I hear on the news that the Dallas School Board is now not looking for bilingual teachers, they're looking for multilingual teachers. They want teachers that speak Vietnamese. They want teachers that speak Portuguese. They want teachers that speak Japanese and Chinese and German. What the hell is going on? We can't teach English right. We're going to teach Vietnamese? We can't get anything right from a government level. But yet we keep adding more and more and more. And why? Because it's the shiny things that misdirect you. And it's the angry things that misdirect you. You're more worried about the temperature of your pool, the balance of your 401k, and what someone else is getting that should be yours, than you are about following the law of the land and holding the true people that are accountable to you, accountable to you. Because it seems so complicated. It seems so complex. It seems impossible. It seems like it cannot be done, but it can. But it won't be done until, you know, these tea parties, you better have some Democrats there. You better, you better bring some constitutionalists with you to the show. Bring some libertarians along. Unification for what's right. Not every Democrat thinks that this should become a socialist utopia. Not every Democrat out there is for socialized, nationalized medicine. Just because you're a Democrat doesn't mean that you are for higher taxes for the rich. There's a, there's a principle that makes people Democrats. And I'll ask you, if you say you're a Democrat, if you say you're a Republican, why? What's the earliest time you can remember being willing to identify yourself in a party? If you are a Democrat, were your parents Democrats? If you're a Republican, were your parents Republicans? See, I'm not a Republican. I'm not a Democrat. I don't even really classify myself any longer as a Libertarian. I, I oppose Libertarian ideals, but I'm an Independent. I don't care what the letter is after your name. I care about your core guiding principles. Will you listen to the will of the people? Will you follow the law of the land? You see, we've had people on our forum question the very will of the people. What about when the will of the people is wrong? That's why this government was created with such brilliance if it's just followed. You see, the Constitution and its rights and its liberties and its structure of government 
is a check and balance not against just the government itself, but the people. It ensures that it followed to the letter. And, and let me let me put something to rest for you. People would say, well, what about what about women not being able to vote? What about slavery? What about this? What about that? The day the Constitution was signed into law, if the very people that put it in place followed it, they would have had to give women the right to vote and abolish slavery the day the Constitution was signed, even though there were provisions that allowed for slavery within the original document. If you read the Bill of Rights, and then you acknowledged women as humans, and you acknowledged people of color as humans, it would have been over right there. It was a foundation to take away where we had gone. And it would have happened sooner or later, with or without a war, and with or without a suffrage movement. Sooner or later, it would have had to happen if we followed the document. The problem is, right from the beginning, we haven't been following the document. We haven't understood the document's brilliance. We haven't understood the document's power. We haven't understood that when we say, all men are created equal, we're not talking about Americans. We, we discuss whether or not the people that are in Guantanamo should have constitutional rights. That, oh, if we bring them to America, then they fall under the U.S. Constitution. Folks, I know this might not be popular with you, but in Guantanamo, anywhere in U.S. custody, they should follow under the Constitution. Now, they may also fall under the rules of warfare. And you can use one or the other. But you have to choose one and you have to follow the law. So even if they're in Guantanamo, if you are holding them for something, put them on trial. You don't have to have a dog and pony show with the media. You bring in a legitimate counselor for one side, a legitimate counselor for the other side. You bring witnesses, you bring evidence, you bring testimony, and you convict or you don't. You don't hold somebody indefinitely because you think. The Constitution was not written for Americans. This is hard to understand because we're so told the Constitution of the United States of America gives you constitutional rights. The Constitution doesn't give you a single right. The Constitution limits the power of government to interfere with rights that are seen to be as inherent and granted to humans by their creator. By whatever name he may be called. For you Wiccans, whatever name she may be called. I don't care. That's how universal this is. That as long as you believe there's something greater than humans, that there is some genesis from which we originate, that that very genesis, even if you're an evolutionist, if you're an enlightened evolutionist, the genesis that made man coherent and able to think and do and act and be, if you're a Christian, if you're a Muslim, if you're a Jew, if you're a Buddhist, if you're a Hindu, it does not matter. It's a universal value that as a human being on this planet, there are certain things that should not be infringed upon by others. And that you have a right and say a duty to resist when that happens. That's what the Constitution is about. The Constitution is the most dangerous document ever issued on the planet if it's followed. Because it has the power to liberate the entire planet. And it has the power to do that not through military might, but through the power of example. If the people in the government of this nation would just live by it, if they would just understand it, if they would just hold it as what it is, the sacred document that defines who we are as a nation, 
then totalitarian states around the world would eventually crumble under their own weight. And people would go, well, now that it's crumbled, where is it working? And we had a semblance of that, but we're losing it. And we're losing it under the manipulation of people that would pit us against ourselves. When this nation is united, it is unstoppable, it is undefeatable. It is a terror, a terror to a totalitarian regime. When, when a country, I don't care who it is, looks at our nation, and whether it's diplomacy, whether it's military, whether it's sanctions, it doesn't matter what it is. When a nation sees our nation turn their sights on them, they're concerned. When they see us turn their sights on them and the American people are united behind it, they quake in terror. And I don't exactly approve of that particular application of our power. I think that's a misplacement of our power. But it does show us, it does define for us how great that power actually is. It is a valid measuring stick for how powerful the will of United America actually is. How much it's already known, understood, appreciated, respected, and even feared. Now, if we were just to take that power and apply it here, if we stop throwing our money to foreign governments who don't like us, if we stopped invoking our will in other parts of the world, and we invoke the will of the people at home, but no, and it will never happen. I don't care how many tea parties you have. I don't care how many tea bags you mail. It won't happen until you reach out across racial divide, gender divide, political divide, ideological divide, religious divide, sexual orientation divide. You're going to have to understand that the name American is more important than any other damn name. You have to take the hyphens out of America. No longer can we be Euro-American, Black American, Mexican American, Hispanic American, or any other bull crap that is thought up for you by intellectuals who don't give a damn about what's important to you. None of these names were created by the people that own them or wear them. It wasn't a Republican that created Republican as a name and made it intrinsic to a person's core worth that they saw themselves with. It wasn't a black man that came up with the term Afro-American and decided for himself that's what we were. It was somebody that was politically correct and didn't want to use the term black. And neither one of them should precede American. You're an American. I'm an American. It happens to be white. You might be an American that happens to be black. You might be an American that happens to be Hispanic. You might be an American that happens to be Lutheran. You might be an American that happens to be Muslim. You're not a Muslim American. You're not a Lutheran American. You're not a Mexican American. You're a freaking American. And until we get that right, until we stop going down to these minutiae and subclasses and subclasses of subclasses, all we're destined for is the violence that we see in other parts of the world. Where two Muslims, a Sunni and a Shiite, kill each other. Where two Christians, a Protestant and a Catholic in the past, have killed each other. They have the same faith, but yet, because they're divided, they see each other as the enemy rather than those that would manipulate them and use them for their own benefit. This has to stop. And it starts with you. It starts with you the next time you hear a story about greedy Wall Street bankers and you forget that that Wall Street banker has a kid and a wife 
and maybe grandchildren. And maybe he just lost his retirement too, because not all of them are rich. It starts with you the next time you hear about the greedy auto worker that's making $80 an hour, and you know he's not. That's a burden labor rate. And you take your eye off the ball that it's a union and a government that have created a system that ruins it for everybody. It's up to you when you hear these things, when you're told the rich are taxed too little, and you're not rich, and you're thinking, I don't care if they pay more taxes, to say, stop, wait, wait. Why should somebody work hard and have what they work hard for taken from them and distributed to somebody who's achieved less? Should we start taking a great point, one point from everybody that got an A, a 4.0, and giving one point to everybody that gets a C so that everybody that at least passes ends up with a B, to be fair? Or is that unfair? If it's unfair there, it's unfair everywhere. Until you realize the level of manipulation that you are under, you cannot break free from it. That's why I decided to talk about this today. Again, this is not a show that's just about storing food under your stairwell. This is not a show that's just about preserving the Second Amendment. This is not a show that's just about modern survivalism the way that it's seen by most people. This is a show about the very survival of the American people and our way of life. Because that's what the fear is that really drives people into survivalism. That's what makes people really afraid. It's not so much will I eat But will my ability to provide for myself be taken away? Will I be turned into some sort of a pet of the state? You know, like a dog. Sure, I'll eat well. They'll take me to the vet whenever I'm sick. They'll clean up my poop, for God's sakes. But will I have liberty? Will I have freedom? Will I make my own choices? And will I be able to make them, right or wrong? They're mine. I'm a human being. I'm on this planet. I have chosen my own path. Sometimes I'll walk the right path. Sometimes I'll walk the wrong path. But as long as I'm not pushing you off yours, leave me the hell alone. And until our people unite behind that, survivalism is just a niche. It's just a component. And we'll be part of the class warfare system. We'll be those crazy wild-eyed survivalists living up in the mountains, even though you work right next to the guy in another cubicle that sees you that way. Even though he hangs out with you, doesn't even know who you are, what you do. You have to reach out to tell people, hey, look, everything's not safe. Everything's not the way that it's painted. And you give people little pieces at a time. But the core message needs to be, look, we have a foundation in this nation. We have something that all of these clowns are supposed to follow. And none of them are doing it. And they're blaming you. And they're putting you against me. And that's not right. And we'll sort out our differences. We'll use the system to sort out who's right and wrong about specific issues. And we'll trust that the system will work. Just like when you build a fire in the woods. You build a little bit of tinder. And you put a little teepee on top of that. And you get that going. And then you start adding larger pieces of woods. And you don't worry about, what if this goes out? Because you know that the system works if you follow it. That's how our government is supposed to run. It works if we follow it. Barack Obama was right about one thing. The Constitution is a document of negative liberties. He said that with disdain. I say it with pride. And I say the same words because it limits what government can do to you. 
but it doesn't say what government should do for you. That is not a problem. That is beautiful. The first thing that a responsible government does is restrict its own power because it knows that it cannot last forever. Even a dictator, if he was a truly benevolent and responsible dictator, a king, a good king like we hear about in the past, I don't even know if they ever really exist or they're just mythological. But even if they were, even if I was overlord of the world, if I were to be responsible, the first thing I would do is inherently limit my own power because I will fade and who will come behind me. You look at the power grabs that Democrats are making right now, clueless to the fact that one day the other side will take back over and use that same power against them. And in the middle will be the American people being told, look over there, look over there, look over there. Blame the immigrant, blame the worker, blame the rich man, blame the poor man, blame the guy on welfare, blame the guy that has to pay the welfare check, blame the bureaucrat, blame everybody. But God forbid, don't blame me even though I'm the source of this crap. That's what your elected officials say. You call your elected official, why don't you do something about this? I'd like to, but I can't because the other side won't let me. The buck stops somewhere, folks. It stops with 500 and some odd clowns up there that call themselves congressmen. It stops, starts with 100 people that call themselves senators. And it starts with you and holding them accountable. Even when they make a decision that you agree with on the surface, if it does not follow the law of the land, it is wrong. And you should hold them accountable for violating the Constitution. It's up to you. It's your choice. Just understand that our survival is at stake when we talk about these things. This is as important as storing food. Who runs your country determines why you have to eventually dip into those preparations. If we have to do it because of a solar storm, fine. We have to do it. At least we'll be united in putting things back together. If we have to do it because a foreign nation attacks us, fine, we'll kick their ass. And they'll wish to God they had picked on somebody else. Even if they knock us back to the Stone Age. An American with a spear scares the hell out of me a lot more than most foreign nationals with an AK-47. Because an American with a spear knows what the hell he's fighting for. But if we're not united then we're not going to be worried about natural disasters or what somebody else does to us. No. We're going to be worried about what we do to ourselves. And that's a hell of a way to go down. It's not the way I want to go down. So, get involved. Be involved. Get involved with these Tea Parties. Find a Democrat and take one with you because there's not enough of them there. We need them too. Find a person that says, I don't even vote. Good, then you need to come more than anybody else. Because you're being tossed about and you believe that you, what you do doesn't matter. What do we always say here, folks? What you do matters. I'm telling you, what you do matters when you are in a wilderness survival situation, when you're in an urban survival situation, or you're in a long-term survival situation, and in how your government is run and how your nation is run, what you do matters. This has been Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. And you can holler, it really doesn't matter. Get spent